punctuates it, and he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle, and the Leafs are moved again! Hey there, welcome to the Nesson Bruins podcast. I'm Nesson.com's Logan Mullen. Joined as always and once again by Nesson.com's Lauren Campbell and Mike Cole. Guys, what's happening? Hi, Logan. Another day. Another day, that's true. Hello, Mike. Um, let's see, the Bruins have been okay. We record this on the heels of a very ugly, I guess, loss for the Bruins who just got kind of run out of the building by the Anaheim Ducks, a, an upstart Ducks team that has been very good this year and is quite fun to watch. Uh, but since we last spoke, I mean, it seems to be a trend that the day after uh, or the day that we're recording is always preceded by a largely bad Bruins performance. You know, the last time we recorded was after they got uh, just absolutely handled by the Carolina Hurricanes. But since then, they did beat the Washington Capitals. They beat the Winnipeg Jets before their 5-3 loss to the Ducks on Tuesday. Uh, obviously, the biggest thing coming out of that loss to the Ducks would be the fact that it was an objectively bad game for Tuka Rask. I think when you look back to the Carolina game that he got pulled from after uh, 20 minutes, you can sort of make the excuse that, well, the defense was very bad in front of him, which is logic I agree with. It was probably their worst defensive performance of the season independent of the goaltending, but the loss Monday was just an outright bad showing by Tuka Rask. He admitted it. Uh, Bruce Cassidy admitted it. So it, there's really no uh, way to mince words there. It was ugly. So we've got a four game sample size of Tuka Rask. He looked fine against the Flyers. He actually looked pretty good against the Flyers in his first game back. He looked largely good against the Winnipeg Jets too. And then you've got two performances that you can kind of dissect a little bit. So, after about a week and a half of Rask firmly back in the fold, where do you guys stand on the state of things with him? I, I'm i indifferent because I don't want to put too much stock into a few starts of a guy who's in his 30s, coming off hip surgery, didn't get his starts in Providence. So that probably is impacting him in some way, shape, or form. But at the same time, this is a seasoned veteran goalie who's played in several big games. Um and he, I mean, he said it. It's hard to, it's hard to mock a game in practice. So he's not getting the the proper, I don't know, rehab. I guess you could say. Um, and when Cassidy last night on Monday said that he would need at least eight starts to get back, I don't know where that number came from. I don't know if that's just what's been happening with when goalies they get eight starts or between eight and ten starts. I don't know. Um, definitely was discouraged after Monday more than anything because. There wasn't. You couldn't say the defense didn't show up. Oh, the the offense didn't show up. This was solely on Tuka Rask. That shorthanded goal was awful. Um, so very, I don't know, very indifferent. Like I said, I right now I'm more discouraged than not. But like I said, I'm not gonna put all my eggs in one basket. Uh, was there a reason they couldn't send him down after the COVID thing with, with Providence? Well, I think that's a big question now because you would think that a Which couple tune-up games in Providence in retrospect might have helped at least with the rust aspect. Jeremy Swayman could have done what you got Monday night. So, like, it's not like you needed to rush. That 
it would have been one thing, and this is a little bit with the benefit of hindsight, but I feel like I've been pretty consistent with my take on the goaltending situation. Um, I like there was no, like it was not break glass in case of emergency. We need to get Tuka Rask back yeah. type of deal for the Bruins. This has been in the works the entire time, which is why it kind of was confusing as to what they did from the summer on with the goaltending situation. But this was not, um, this was not like we're going with Swayman and Vladar and Christmas rolls around and we can't stop a beach ball. We need to call Tuca and have him come in here and save us. So I just don't know, especially in hindsight, again, what the rush was to get him back. Um, and if you're going to, they're not good enough to waste games on Tuca finding his footing. And I think he kind of alluded to that where they aren't I that that's that's probably too harsh or sounds too harsh, but like they're not in a, a position that maybe if this was five years ago, I, I wouldn't be concerned about it at all because it's this, te- you know, you can just sit here and say this team is they're a wagon. Basically, everything will be fine. Like take the middle of the season to, to kind of get up to speed and go. I just think this is they, they don't have the same rope that they may have had in the past. And I think now, in hindsight, you can kind of question the decision-making process or question how we got here with, with this, where it's the guy is kind of just getting back up to speed in regular season NHL games that, that mean as much for this team as it has in a long time. Um, and it's not even really a, a, a – Tuca played poorly on Monday, as everybody's already said. But, like, that's it's not his fault. Like, he's – yeah, he's an eight, you know he's older goaltender, um, who's he dealing coming seven off of, months between games and coming off a of major surgery a, a, at a position where you know you need your hips and things like that. So there's there's always going to be rust, and there was we talked about this last week. There's going to be rust on things like puck tracking and puck handling, which is where he has struggled so far. Um, so you know. I again, I, I just think my question is is pertinent. Why did they rush into getting him back? absent of a real other than just say like let's get this thing going i think that's the biggest thing you can nitpick at is why did they not just put a pause on things and let him actually play in providence before bringing him up you obviously can't change that now so i'm of the belief that you have to continue trotting him out there because at this point you can't do the start and stop thing over and over again, and he plays one game, then you get Olmark for two or three, and then it's back to Rask. I mean, they're about to run into a break anyways with the All-Star weekend, so there's already going to be some downtime. So I think we might also be overstating the the amount of runway that they have to let him get right. Uh, You obviously can't wait forever, but we've also, I think all three of us have kind of agreed that the Eastern Conference playoff picture seems relatively firm, barring a meltdown from the Bruins or an improbable surge from, at this point, I guess the Islanders, uh, maybe the Blue Jackets, uh, unlikely the Red Wings. But, you know, if you, if you truly believe that the Eastern Conference playoff picture is relatively firm and that if the Bruins play slightly above 500 hockey the rest of the way, then I think you also have to hold the space for the fact that they need to keep rolling Rask out there and let him get right. The The biggest thing for me is that he seems to be holding up fine physically. So that suggests to me that 
if that's not an issue, then all of this is rust. It's not a health thing. It's not the surgery didn't pan out as well as he thought. It's not, you know, okay, I'm, I'm still playing through pain. It just seems like he's a guy that went a very long time between playing NHL games, and it's catching up to him a little bit. And I think the fact that he played well against the Flyers in that first game almost hurt him in a way because he set the bar fairly high, and you start to think, okay, maybe he – won't need all this time to shake the rust off. Turns out he does, and he's delivered a few clunkers, and that's kind of the spot they're in. But while you can second-guess the whole Providence thing, I think at this point they've put themselves in a position where, rightly or wrongly, there is no choice but for them to just keep playing Rask. That's what Rask said Monday, too. He's like, the only way I'm going to get through this is continuing to play. And, I mean, he's right. You can't just overplay Linus Allmark who's been fine for the Bruins all season but in order to get his confidence back up in order for Rask to get those important reps you do have to keep toting him out there and if that means he's going to look ugly in some games then so be it if that the end result will be the elite play that he's been playing for the last I don't know, 10 years what if, what if he doesn't get it back well that's why he's on a one-year deal, right? I just like I we're getting ahead of ourselves, but like what I I would be interested. In, I don't even know if anyone's asked. It'd be a little <laughs> kind of a dick move to ask Cassidy or Sweeney. At what point do you consider this a, a failure and and abort you know abort the mission? Because I don't think you're there yet, obviously. But yeah, I certainly it is an interest. I would love to know their line of thinking. Is like how long do you kind of? There has to be one, right? Even if you would imagine, you would think, you would right? Think they. I mean, but what do they do? Are they just gonna be like, you know what? Don't worry about it. Just it, stay home. <laughs> I mean, take the day off. I yeah. say because, like, to your point, Logan. They, I was just looking at the standings. It was they've created even more separation than I realized. Even like the last week since we've talked, um, or at least it feels like they have. Uh, so they they do have plenty of runway time, whatever, however you want to define it. Um. They could keep running them back out there and just be like, and then maybe it's proof once the playoffs roll around. It's like, we can't do this. We have to go with old Mark or Swayman. But yeah, I don't know. I would love to know what the, you know, how long it takes before this stops being, yeah, it's just Tuca getting his, his legs back. So, well, Cassie said eight. So I think people are going to hold him sure. to yeah. that a little bit. Quite random. It, right? That, yeah, random. that has to be parroted from goalie Bob. Yeah, of I course. Guess. Yeah. Like, Bob Asensa probably has a, a good sense on why exactly he needs that amount of time. I, I mean, it's probably looking it up right now. Like, he historically has struggled early in the season, hasn't he? Tuca? Yeah. I think back to so maybe what it's was a, it, 2017 is a good example where people thought they should make Hudobin the number one. Yep. And then Rask <laughs> had a stellar game, I think, against Tampa in like November. And from there on out, he went on a run. I think that's when he had that unbeaten streak that stretched into January. So this does tend to happen. He does tend to be a slow starter. And then when you, you know, issue the reality check too that the guy hasn't played a meaningful game in seven months leading up to you know his start against philly and there was major hip surgery in between then yeah there's kind of a, a no shit factor that it's going to take him a little bit to get back it is sub 900 save percentage through the first 13 games of 2017 and then yeah he went a streak of uh 
22 games in which they did not lose in regulation. He had a 941 save percentage. So that's the definition of rope right there. And, like, this is not 2017, um, but I do. Their defense might be better. Yeah, and he's he's been given, you know, that sort of – he gets a longer leash than most because, A, you don't like – that's the thing. You don't make this move – without assuming the guy's got a ton of leash. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they're not going to completely derail Jeremy Swayman's progression, even if it's a brief derailment, just to bring Tuca back and give up on it after a week and a half. Well, he's earned know. it. And I think the the bottom line is that the upside of getting Tuca Rask right is far too tantalizing that the sure. idea of well, okay maybe this doesn't work out right 940 save percentage right so you look at two that months he was pretty good last year even though he was playing with you know a lot of pain so i think you have to take that into account and so he does get some latitude partially because it's earned and partially because you know what the upside could be and they have the flexibility to kind of take those chances again you can't do that forever but he's been too good recently in recent seasons. Like it's not like this is him clinging to the last thread of NHL relevancy where he's all of a sudden a fringe NHL goalie or something like that. He's been a top 10 at sometimes top five goalie for years now, even dating back to this, this past season. So you have to sort of give him that room. So they can't lean on it forever, but, Certainly one bad game against the Ducks and then an ugly one against the Hurricanes that he's only partially at fault for is not reason at all, in my opinion, to start making any sort of drastic moves. Um, and, and this does kind of mire what's ultimately still been a very good stretch for the Bruins. Uh, you know, the he has been involved in some ugly losses, but the Bruins still, since the turn of the new year, have been a very good team. They've only lost three games out of, what is that, 12 now, 13? So they're in a good position. His existence is not, you know, really scaling them back. I think that Carolina game, it doesn't matter who's in net. It's probably going to go poorly. Uh, The Ducks one is the only one you can pin on him. So I guess to sort of pivot a little bit, I mean, try not to be victims of the moment here, but how – do you sort of, as January wraps up and they head on this West Coast trip where they're going to play a very good Avalanche team as well as a, an awful Coyotes team and a middle-of-the-road Stars team, I mean, where's sort of your stance on this Bruins team? Have we started to figure out where the where the level is for the water? I think that this, how they've been playing, is probably how a lot of fans expected them to play this season. Um, especially getting Rask back, maybe they thought there'd be a little bit more there, but the defense just really isn't doing it. I think that they've, for the most part, figured out the second-line center for now anyway. But to say that they've they've been disappointing, I think, wouldn't be fair to the Bruins. They have a lot of – they still have holes to fill and things to work out. But, I mean, the, the upcoming trip, I think, will be a big test. Good avalanche team, like you said, middle-of-the-road Dallas and just bad Arizona team. I think that they easily or they could easily take two out of three of those games. And if they don't, maybe they need to reassess something. I don't know what they've done a lot. They've shaken up their lines. They've 
send Jeremy Swayman back down to Providence. It's I think this coming upcoming trip is going to tell a lot, especially February stacked now with games. So you can't be. I mean, Tuca said you can't. They don't have the luxury of throwing away games, especially now with February all filled up. They certainly do not. Pretty much exactly where I expected them to be, or close enough. They are good enough to make the playoffs. Clearly, uh, probably not good enough to win in a division, and they're going to get their heads kicked in every once in a <laughs> while um, because they're just not as good as they've been in the past, especially. You know, was a a relative you know, rotation of uh, defensive pieces that have. It feels like that's always kind of ever evolving, um, and yeah, they just if the goaltending isn't elite, like it's been in the past, which at this point it still is not elite. The other issues are going to kind of be exposed on a more frequent basis, and I think that's how you end up getting curb stomped every seven or eight games and that's fine like it's a loss is a loss is a loss so it's not the end of the world I just think they are they're far more mortal than we've seen them in the past um but there's still enough talent there where if they get hot they they can win a a string of games and you look at like Pasternak right now who's on a 84 goal pace in his last 11 games you know that there's still enough top end talent to carry them over a short period of time. And once again, there's nothing I've seen this year that makes me any more or even less confident about their ability to win a seven game series against a a very good team, which is getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. But I think it's just, it kind of speaks to the point where I think this is all just playing out in 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 a way that was fairly predictable given their talent or lack thereof, especially compared to past years. Yeah, I mean, I forget what we said at the beginning of the season as in terms of our outlook on the Bruins. I think Lauren and I were probably more rosy than they've been better than I expected. I guess it's is a way to put it slightly better than than I expected. Yeah, I think they're right around where I was expecting them to be because the division got better, too. Like the Panthers becoming a significantly better team certainly turns things upside down because gone are the days where you just knew for a three year stretch that was going to be. Bruins, Lightning, and Maple Leafs in some order, and then everyone else is just kind of fighting for it. So the fact that the Bruins are in the mix, I think, means that they're probably meeting baseline expectations. This, However long this current run sort of extends that they play at a very high level will ultimately dictate how far they exceed the baseline expectations, but I think at this point given the state of the Bruins roster and the the turnover that they've had you just kind of have to expect that they're going to get into the playoffs because they still have a Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak, McAvoy core but after that it's all their success is going to be predicated on the depth players and like we've been saying for about a month now you get a pretty good sense of how good the Bruins can be if the depth players are all contributing and I think the not a depth player, obviously, but David Posternock's increase in production also is helping uh, to kind of get everyone going in the right direction. But this probably is about where they should be, a, a higher-end wildcard team slash one that should theoretically compete for a division spot, even if it is sort of the third seed. So uh, with that, let's go to our weekly discussion of who the Bruins have been linked to. Uh, 
recently, as of, I guess, last night, Monday night, the Frank Saravalli said on Sportsnet in Vancouver that the Bruins, Wild, and Flames, and Rangers were among the teams uh, said to be interested in JT Miller, the Canucks kind of do it all forward. Uh, he can play center. He can play either wing spot, really. Uh, is basically a point-per-game player over the last three seasons, 5.25 million cap hit, and he signed through next season. He'll cost a crap load if you want to trade for him, but I've started talking myself into the possibility that if the Bruins are going to push their chips into the middle and try and really swing a big trade for an impact player. I think I might be more into the idea of JT Miller than I would be Jacob Chikrin. I think I'm more into the idea now, knowing that Nick Foligno wasn't on the ice this morning of since uh, on Tuesday during That's practice. True. So I think, I mean, obviously we have no idea if it's a long-term thing, if he's only going to miss a game, if it was just maintenance. Um, we don't really know what's going on there, but I think if he were to miss long-term time, I would be definitely in on JT Miller because he fills some voids. The contract is very attractive, and he's an impact player, like you said. I think that given his ability to be able to play basically any forward position will give the Bruins a little more depth, but would it cost a Jack Studnika? Would it cost some defenseman depth, maybe a Vakanina and Clifton? Um, that would it necessarily make their team better? I I don't know, but the idea of him being in a Bruins uniform is certainly one to sit down and just kind of really think about. Uh, tough one. Great player. It is a tough <laughs> one. Great player. Uh, very productive. Plays big minutes. Uh, he's, you, know, you look at, um, what's it called? Uh, the Athletics, like, player card for him. Uh, he's, like, all either top or star projections. Yeah, that's he's legit. He's a, a great player around which you can build for the future, I suppose. I mean, he's only signed through what next year is next season. I I just have a hard time believing this happens. I, I because I don't. I, do they have what they can they can do? To, do they have what it takes to to acquire a player like that? Whether it's J T. Miller or anyone else. Well. I guess the first thing would be we do know that the Canucks have been interested in the past in Jake DeBrusque sure. because there are all those talks of swapping him and Jake Vertanen. This, I mean, this conversation is like tied to the, our other conversation too, right? Where, like, if you think if you think they're good, then go nuts because I, I, I mean, I don't know. Does he come with a contract extension? If that's the case, maybe I'm more into it. If if he doesn't come with a contract extension, is that kind of a tacit admission that this window is open for another year and a half and that's it? Like, it's just, I don't know. It doesn't, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what direction they want to head in. That's kind of my, my thing is, and they, this is kind of related to the goaltending thing. It's like, well, you just signed a guy for however much money. You've got a young goalie. But then you're also bringing back the old guy, the veteran, presumably for one last run at this. So I guess that kind of says, yeah, let's go all in for a guy like JT Miller and let's see what we can do in one or two years. But if you do that and this all kind of falls apart, are you willing to live with the consequences of that? And is that something you should be willing to live with? I, this is, I mean, this is every conversation, right? You have when it comes to acquisition, but, uh, 
yeah, I I love the player, love the idea in a vacuum. I just I I don't know. I it would take a lot of guts to make a deal like this, considering what's coming if it hasn't already gotten here. Sure, that's long winded. I apologize. <laughs> that's okay. So here's my biggest thing: is we don't know what's going to happen with Patrice Bergeron, and the reason Miller seems attractive to me from a Bruins standpoint would be if Patrice Bergeron retires this offseason, you at least have one year of a guy that could be a legitimate uh, top six center. You're not all of a sudden you know, trotting out Charlie Coyle as your first line center in October of next season. So the fact that there's term on his deal makes him more attractive to me than, say, a Tomas Hurdle kind of guy that I don't think the Bruins have ever officially been linked to, but people always speculate that one. Uh, and I think adding someone like him certainly elevates the Bruins as a whole. No doubt about it, they would have to part with some sort of asset. I think there's also a certain level of the Bruins have to think about how badly they're going to have to pay the piper in the first place for all the asset mortgaging that they did to chase cups basically the last decade plus. Eventually that stuff catches up to organizations not named the Pittsburgh Penguins. And so I think there's a level of you almost have to become numb to it, right? If you still think you can win now and you know that a perhaps ugly rebuild might be on the horizon, even if it is a few years down the road, then you might as well just keep going all in and investing in it and you deal with the consequences later. That's probably why I'm not an NHL executive because that's a very short-sighted way of thinking. But I think if you also know that one day there might be a challenge to your team because you went all in for years, then maybe you do pull the trigger on a on a Miller-type deal. But I think he makes the Bruins, he would make the Bruins markedly better uh, this season, especially because Eric Hollow, for as good as he's been, as a second line center has been better as a winger and all of a sudden you have Bergeron, Miller, Coyle, Nosek going down the middle and that's better than what the Bruins have had at any point this season and at times better than what they had during previous years. You're also like squeezing the very last drops out of the value that you have uh, with the Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marshawn deals because like as you're talking about teams who the reckoning comes like the the Chicago Blackhawks yeah from more ways the than Los one. Angeles Kings right but you get the Blackhawks like with the money and the amount of cap that they have invested in and just just Kane and Taves yeah um and you just like again I was messing around with the athletic player cards Bergeron seven million dollars is market value according to their stats whatever is which is this is very kind of intangible but it's fourteen million. Yeah, and Marshawn six million market value seventeen million, um, and then Pasternak six and a half, and his market value is fourteen and a half. Like you're, so I guess there is a an argument to me, but it's like, well, we're still we're not financially crippled by our best players, so if we can augment our roster in any way that makes the slightest yeah. bit of sense, we can deal with everything else later because we're gonna have to deal with that at some point. So we might as well try to get the most out of this while we still can. You kind of have to because, I mean, Pasternak's coming up after what? Is it next season or the year after? Pasternak's coming up relatively soon. He took a team-friendly RFA deal relative to his ability, but 
you can't bank on that happening again. And he has to be looking around the league at guys like Panarin and Marner who are pulling in 10, $11 million and thinking I could get that. And by all indications, David Pasternak isn't that type of guy, but at a certain point, you're only going to play hockey for a very fixed period of time. And I have zero issues with a guy trying to cash in while he can. So those are all decisions that are coming up. So I totally agree with you, Mike, that you kind of have to capitalize on the fact that all three of your star forwards have basically taken pay cuts to be in Boston. Not to mention next year, McAvoy's cap hit. Yep, that comes up too. It's 4.9 right now. It jumps up to 9.5 next year. Uh, Carlo too, right? Yeah, I think so. Charles McAvoy is going to Spotrack. Spot rack? (laughs) Spot track? I don't know. I always said Spotrack. Spotrack, yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, again, and this is the background of our other conversation. Like I said, it's just there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of uncertainty more so than there's been in close to 20 years with this group, um, which is nuts. It's not dissimilar to my Green Bay Packers in some ways where it's like, you know, this at a certain point you kind of have to deal with what you have uh, in terms of, a, you know, especially in a capped league. And it's a little more tricky in the NHL where it's a hard cap. So it's not like you can do maneuvering. Wow. It this can't TV be the New Orleans gonna, Saints. How's this TV deal going to affect the uh, the cap moving forward too? You know, it's, Well, I think it's going to go up a little bit next year, right? But it, it's, it's not going to swing so large right. that all of a sudden you can shoehorn in JT Miller with minimal issue. It's it's a precarious spot, but I have no issue with teams going all in. And I think the Bruins at this point, you have Bergeron, you have Marshawn, you have Pasternak. You're you're not rebuilding. You simply cannot rebuild with all those guys in the fold on those deals. So, especially it, with how good you've been this year, like there was a non-zero chance that they sucked this year, and that's like, okay. Let's sell off assets here and get yeah. a jump start on this. You, they're not in that point, so. Yeah. The Bruins should treat this situation like I treat all my problems. Ignore it and hope it goes away. Just go all in on it. That's, <laughs> I don't totally disagree with that. And honestly, it's going to be I, – I, not to. I'm not trying to bag on the Bruins, but it's going to be ugly so, at some point. So like, the, it happens to every team. The next front office that makes decisions for the people who take over for them once they're fired will be the first one to do that too. Like you're not <laughs> – you're not clearing the decks for whoever's going to take your job at some point. You're worried about winning in the in the moment, and you're obviously you're worried about long term sustainability because you're assuming you're going to have a job forever. But at a certain point, you're like, well, we need to kind of do something here, and uh, these things eventually add up. Well, and you know what changes all this too is good drafting. That's and, it, right. Yeah. And so Fabian Lysel could very well be the real deal. Mason Lorai seems like he's just been a menace in college. So it seems sure. like the Bruins might be hitting on a few of these picks. And again, you never know, right? So just, cause a, just because Fabian Lysel is playing fine in the WHL right. doesn't mean he's going to set the NHL on fire. But a lot of teams have avoided this type of fall because they draft and develop well. And so that's kind of an independent part of it where you can sort of afford to go after the, the JT Miller types. If you think that your prospect base is going to be deep enough and that you can draft well enough to sort of circumvent these issues down the road, the Blackhawks did not draft well, the Kings did not draft that well. That's why for years they were trotting out Dowdy and Kopitar and just praying it was going to work. 
Bruins haven't drafted especially well until recently. And then you saw, you know, like, again, they are kind of saved by the, the cap hits, which were, you know, manageable. Yep. So. Well, any parting thoughts? <laughs> Just going to go ignore my problems now? Yeah. Um, At times it works for me. <laughs> Not often, but. Yeah, I, I think this is a big road trip for them because there are opportunities to get points against you know, teams like Phoenix, but there's also a pretty good measuring stick game that I won't watch Wednesday night because it's too late uh, in Colorado. But, I mean, that Avalanche team is – they don't win the Stanley Cup this year. It's probably a disappointment, which is kind of crazy to say in that sport. But So I think this is – you know, you're always just looking for little opportunities to kind of get a better gauge of what you're looking at. And I think – a measuring stick game plus also a team that you should beat the piss out of is a nice little back-to-back sure. -back, uh, uh, sample size. So let's wrap it up with this. We've talked about pretty much every guy the Bruins have been linked to over the yeah, last few exhausting. weeks. So going off the top of my head, it's JT Miller, Jacob Chikrin, Max Domi, Lawson Krause. Uh, I think that pretty much covers it all. I've had the Danny DeKaiser take for a while. Um, if – you had to choose one. I, I get that the trade deadline is still two months away, but if you're making a big splash move, who at this point would it be from all the guys the Bruins have been linked to? I'm going to go Chikrin. I want defense over forwards. The term's enticing, too. It is. I was going to say Chikrin, too. Wait, I don't I, – because I don't love – I, I mean, Miller's the best option, but, like, that's also going to cost you the most in terms of. Like, Will it? I feel like Arizona's going to get so much for Chikrin. I, maybe but, I should change my – I'm going to go with Miller, actually, which is – I'm trying not to be recency biased, but I'm – this – I need to stand tall on my take about – First if, time for everything. If, if the Coyotes have all these great assets, why do they – why are they absolutely terrible? Yeah. So I don't want to deal with that. Granted, the Canucks actually have talented Ross. Like I, I've right. liked that Canucks team for a while, and they just haven't. They just can't put yeah. it together. Yeah, I think mine would be Miller. I, I like the idea I, that you're saying with the Bergeron insurance, too. It, if he wasn't signed for another year, I would be way more skeptical about that. But – there's so much upside to it simply because if Bergeron leaves, then Miller becomes your top line center, unless you make some sort of splash in free agency, which I don't know what that would be. If not, then you get another year of Bergeron, Miller, and Coyle, and no set down the middle, which is a pretty good collection of guys. So that's why I land on Miller. I really like Chikrin, the player, and I think that the Bruins would be well advised to get a high-end defenseman like that, especially a left-shot guy, because they are on the record as saying that they're looking for it. But my fear is that the Coyotes are just going to ask for and get a crap load for, um, for Chikrin. I just like that the Coyotes, Jay Beagle. Yeah, they, they took on so many bad contracts. So Jay bad. Beagle, Antoine Roussel, Louis Erickson, they absorbed all those guys from the Canucks for uh, OEL and Connor Garland. Um Shane Gothisbear. Shane Gothisbear stinks now. I like just like his name. Um, great uniform. That's it is a great uniform. Well, we're gonna see the Bruins play the Coyotes on what day is that? Friday. Friday. Yeah, so we can we can do our deep dive into the Arizona Coyotes since 
teams are just going to be poaching players from them. I, uh, I'm just looking at the stuff. I did not realize that the Canadians lost last night to Minnesota 8-2. to two. So it's yeah. really tough to see Canadians Montreal. are so yeah. bad. So this is my last point. <laughs> the The division is not as good as we expected it to be. That the, the top end is. Yeah, it's very top heavy. Yeah. But we thought it was going to be way deeper. Uh, yeah, like did we expect progression from Buffalo? Yes, but not enough to the point where it would. Did we expect progression from Ottawa? I thought so. I thought Ottawa was going to be. And we better. expected Montreal to be, you know, not go from Stanley Cup finalists to literal worst, literal worst team in the league. So. Sure. And the Red Wings have been better than a lot of people. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. the they're, that doesn't fit my narrative here. So <laughs> yeah. So we can't can't talk about yeah. them. I, I I don't think that any of those teams are that far off from being good though minus the canadians so the bruins window now talk about a window closing it might be closing by virtue of the fact that the red wings are probably a piece or two away from being an actually competitive team the sabers are still a few years off but they're getting better i still insist that the senators are going to be good in the not too distant future um so it could and, and the panthers look like they're here to stay too so interesting times um all right anything else guys Honors Bjork makes the Sabres better. <laughs> Getting seven minutes a night on the fourth line. He's definitely having an impact there. Sure is. All right. That's Lauren and Mike. I'm Logan. This has been the Ness and Bruins podcast. Uh, until next time, we'll see you.